0: Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like him, and live out his mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. So we are continuing our series called Slow Down, and we've been talking about uh, the pace at which the world runs, Full of hurry, and the foundation of hurry is anti love that we can't love well, it's incompatible with hurry. And then we've used different illustrations and components of hurry and love to show. Uh, the pieces of, as, of Jesus followers of how we sort of slow down and what that looks like. And so first week was on love uh, being greater than hurry. And then we talked about the idea of Sabbath and how we should savor a day a week to slow down. And that is greater than just the 24-7 grind. Uh, we talked about the idea that um, serving is greater than influence and fame and popularity and, and fighting for that drug in the world. Uh, and we also talked about recently just the idea of quality over quantity, that making disciples and apprenticing people and being in relationship is far greater than just trying to spread ourselves everywhere super thin. So today, uniquely enough, we're actually talking about money, a uh, great Mother's Day theme, but it just lined up. I don't know, I planned it four months ago, so I'm sorry, I didn't know it was Mother's Day, but here we are. We're teaching it, and we're talking about the reality of generosity being much greater than Greed. Greed is probably the most subtle, insidious sin that our culture deals with, and uh, we'll kind of get to proving that in a little bit, but I'd like to start off with my uh, realization of my personal greed at the ripe age of 13 in, in uh, eighth grade, and it was my first year in public school. Yes, I was homeschooled until seventh grade, so that's free, free uh, game to make fun of me later for that, but and you're like, oh, I kind of noticed that now, I'm starting to, get, starting to put the pieces together. <laughs> you hang out with me for too long, it'll just come out, but... Uh, eighth grade, I'm in this class called Power Tech, which I don't even know why it was called that, but it was back whenever we didn't have laptops, they had computers in a computer lab, and you'd, you'd go in this computer lab, and you'd like just learn how to sort of use the computer. And this one assignment, this is the only assignment I remember of the whole class, uh, we had to use the interwebs, and we had to go online, and whether it was Wikipedia or whatever, we had to research and create a life for us. And the center of the, the project was around your occupation, like what type of job you might be interested in, being in eighth grade. And so I, I thought about this, and, and I'm going to give you two possible ways that I took this, and you got to pick which one you think I went with. The first one, as an eighth grade boy, is that I thought reasonably about my own intelligence, privilege, and overall work ethic to look into a career which would be scalable for my life. And then I decided a civil engineer would be sustainable and then made decisions on my house, car, and family and etc. from that. The second option is I did a Google research of professions that make the most money and then decided I was going to be an orthopedic spine surgeon, which would allow me to buy the Lamborghini Gallardo that I wanted, live in the massive mansion on Zillow, which had a private island, uh, and of course, an ideal vacation spot off the coast of Bali with an uh, overwater bungalow. So uh, which one, which approach do you think I went with there? Definitely two, right? Uh, No one in our class was even remotely close to number one. (laughs) Like, yeah, I don't know, I'm like that smart. So maybe like I won't be a doctor. Maybe I'll just, you know, do this or that. No one ever, no one ever did that. No one ever thought like that. Everyone was like these crazy things. And in some ways, this is the dream that's instilled to us as a child. Like we live in America, okay? Possibles are endless. You have a dream. Go for it, right? Like you can make your dream happen. And what we rarely fail to think about in the Christian world is what if our dream is just selfish and sinful. Like, has anyone ever been like, man, maybe your dream is actually, like, not a good thing? We only use the term dream. It's like this safe space where we can dream about the greatest things ever, but most of them are rooted in some capacity of greed. Well, I want all these things. And even if it's not greedy, it's secure, meaning that there's there's no holes in which this thing can be taken down and it would allow me to live a comfortable, happy life. And I can prove this because not one of the people in the class talked anything about friendships, marriage, and if they did have marriage, it was a guy putting a really attractive model up there. It's was like, I'm going to marry this model because, you know, he's all those money. So. But they never talked about family. They never, they never talked about how they could give their money or resources away or be philanthropic. Not one person had any area around the nonprofit world. And believe it or not, no one planned on being disabled, not being able to make a dream for their vacation, vocation. And even while there, no one predicted that they would die early from drunk driving, motorcycle crashes, drug overdoses, suicides. And this is actually what happened to countless of my classmates. And I'm not that old, so it hasn't been that long. But this is the reality of the world, is we have these dreams. They are laced with the culture in which we are raised in. I am an American white male. I have gotten a lot higher privilege than a lot of other people. And I didn't do anything to deserve that or earn it. From the age of three, my earliest memory, that was just me, right? And whether you were middle class, upper class, lower class, I still have immense things that have been given to me that I didn't really ask for, nor did I um, work hard for. And that's the world we live in, but our dream is almost always in response to what we have, but our dream can oftentimes become a sense of greed. And what we don't realize is the dream that we have, we do aspire for. So even if we're not there or we're far away, it still informs all the values and priorities of our life. And so we start to make these small decisions here and there that don't look greedy, but they really, really are. You start to put more money into this account to be able to save for this big thing that you want. You start to hold more of this. You start to make decisions based on money and time. You start to think about another side hustle. You start to think about more kids means more money, which means less comfort, right? You make these small little compromises because the vision and the dream you have is actually full of greed. And so, what I would argue is that all of us are essentially filled with greed. In fact, Tim Keller explains this in his book, Counterfeit Gods. And he says, uh, Some years ago, I was doing a seven part series of talks on the seven deadly sins at a men's breakfast. My wife, Kathy, told me, I'll bet you that week you, d- you deal with greed, you won't have anyone there. You'll have your lowest attendance. And she was right. People packed it out for lust and wrath or even pride, but nobody thinks they're greedy. As a pastor, I've had people come to me and confess that they struggle with almost every other kind of sin. Almost. I cannot recall anyone ever coming to me and saying, I spend too much money on myself. I think my greedy lust for money is harming my family, my soul, and the people around me. He says, greed hides itself from the victim. The money God's modus operandi, its main goal and its priority, is, includes blindness to your very own heart. Blindness to your very own heart. And that's the reality for all of us. Like, we, we, we are blind to greed, but not only are we blind, we also look to our people around us to help inform that decision. And what we say is, well, that, that person makes way more money. Like, they clearly are, like, I'm not greedy because I don't make what they make and I don't have the opportunity or, or the dreams that they have or, right, you name it. When we, we use others to justify the fact that either none of us are greedy or all of us are greedy. And I don't know about you, but I think we're more on the all, we're all greedy. We're American, Right. We're all greedy side. And greed is not just about money, right? It's, it's, it, it's very close in tandem with lust and coveting, wanting something, right? But greed is this deep-seated reality that I want more. And what we're going to find out today is that the antidote to greed is actually generosity. And what I think starts the foundation of this is this little scripture in Malachi 3. This is in the Old Testament. We'll have it on the screen um, because we're going to be mainly in... Luke today. But Malachi 3 is the only scripture in the entire Bible where God asks us almost like just he's kind of being cocky. He says, test me. It's the only scripture in the entire Bible where God says, test me. The only other times it's used is as a negative thing, like don't put the Lord your God to the test, right? Jesus says, don't test God. But this is the one time where God says, no you can test me. And this is what it's about. It says in verse 6 of chapter 3 Since I the Lord do not go back on my promises, you sons of Jacob have not perished From the days of your ancestors you have ignored my commandments and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord who rules over all. But you say, how shall we return? Can a person rob God? You indeed are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? In tithes and contributions. You are bound for judgment because you are robbing me and this whole nation is guilty. And here we go in verse 10. Bring the entire tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my temple. Test me in this matter, says the Lord who rules all, to see if I will not open for you the, the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until there is no room for it all. He says, test me in this matter and see if I don't basically pour out the floodgates of blessing. Now, we talk about, you know, kind of, the fighting against the prosperity gospel, which is the idea that when we do this, we'll intrinsically receive something back greater. And we know that blessing is not always a financial thing, right? You might give away something financially and receive its blessing in a far greater way. But this is God saying, I dare you. Put me to the test. And he's saying this has been the reality of your hearts, that you have not followed my commandments, and this primary thing is you're robbing God. And how are we robbing God if I deserve this job, if I deserve this inheritance, if I was raised in this family, this is hard-earned, it's my thing. We rob God because that's a very wrong perception. It is not yours. God gave you it. If we believe that God's the creator, we believe that God has wired you and given you your intelligence, your personality, the story that you have, the job that you earn is not really the job that you earn it's the job that you earn with all of God's stuff and he is the owner and you are the steward. so we're robbing God because we are not, we' are not stewarding what he has given us as the original owner in the way that he wants us to. Now this is kind of the root of greed. I'm not going to this is an Old Testament passage there's a lot of different kind of um, ways we go about giving and tithes and contributions and all that and we talked a lot about that in our sex and money retreat in January. so I don't want to get into all that but this is the only part in the Bible where God tells us to test him. So let's kind of play that out a little bit in what Jesus is saying in the New Testament, because Jesus calls us to something much greater as well. Now, I love what uh, N.T. Wright says about new Christians. Like uh, in the book of Acts, they, Jesus ascends into heaven, they have the Holy Spirit, and they just start trying to live like Jesus' people. And one of the most profound ways they live is in their generosity. N.T. Wright says, the Christian faith spread in the early centuries, despite the Romans trying to stamp it out, because they were subjugating everyone. He says, because of ordinary people, I like to say middle-class people, (laughs) living in an extraordinary way. They cared for people, especially the poor, even when they were not related to them. They gave people medical treatment, education, and so on. And these things had only ever been reserved for the rich or the elite. People were astonished. And here's what he says, they didn't know it was possible to live like that. They didn't know it was possible to live like that. Has anyone ever said that to you? I just, I don't know how you do it, Trey. Like, I just didn't know it was possible to be this happy, this joyful, um, even even in the chaos, right, we talked about, like, even in the world that we live in, even in, like, you're just willing to give stuff away, you're willing to be generous with your time, your money, like, all this stuff, you just, you're willing to give it all away. I didn't know that you could live like this and be happy. Has anyone ever said that to you? I think that's a really good barometer of how we're doing. If people are like, "You're kind of crazy," like, "You're like a little overly generous," it's stressing me out. But then I see your like just the contentment you have. You're not anxious. The joy that you have. You're just so light and free and hopeful. Like, I want that. What do I need to do, right? That's, that's what the early Christians were doing. They were sharing everything. And the, the first century historians that were writing about this. Even um, uh, the, the Pliny the Younger is writing. These Roman emperors are writing. They just don't understand the Christians. They're like, they do these weird dinners with, like, blood. And, you know, they're talking about the bread and cup. And then they just, like, share everything. And they're just helping everyone. If someone has a need, they all just put down money. But they're not that rich. And I don't know how they're doing it. They couldn't figure it out. It blew their minds. Imagine Rome having their mind minds blown about money, right? It blows their mind. And the world today is no different. As an American, one of the greatest apologetics of our to, of our day today is how we are generous with our money. It blows people's minds. They just don't understand it. And so Christians should be the most generous people. And so I want to turn to a story in Luke twelve. This is if you want to turn there, you have your Bibles, your phones. Luke twelve. We're going to camp out here, and this is a, 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 just a kind of a. A few stories about Jesus talking about uh, wealth and greed and uh, the realities of that. And we're going to start in verse 13. And uh, this is a really, really powerful passage because lots of people are listening. This isn't like an intimate conversation. There's lots of people, and the disciples are listening. And so someone from the crowd says to them in verse 13 Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, it, it's possible, I don't want to get too far into it, but it's possible that his brother did need to give him a part of his inheritance. You know, typically the firstborn would get the largest chunk and then it would be subsequented like out from there. But regardless, he's like, you know, either my brother's not giving to me or I want it, I deserve it, or whatever. Jesus just blows it off. He says, But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator between you two? So he just basically says, like, I'm not here to provide authority about what you should get or not get. And then it says, the next line, he said to them, he, so he turns, This is everybody hears it, he turns to everyone and he says, watch out and guard yourself from all types of greed because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Then he tells him a parable. He says, the land of a certain rich owner produced an abundant crop. So he thought to himself, what should I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I will store up all my grain and all my goods And I will say to myself, you have plenty of goods stored up for yourself for many years. Relax, eat, drink, celebrate. Sounds like retirement, right? But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded back from you. But who will get what you have prepared for yourself? So it is with the one who stores up riches for himself, but is not rich towards God. Jesus is getting at two principles here. The first is that there are lots of types of greed. Sometimes we boil greed down to, like, if I make a lot of money and I don't give a lot of it away, I'm greedy, right? But greed has this deep, like, sneaky, insidious roots in our heart because greed is just wanting more. It's the next thing. It's like being on a treadmill trying to chase the carrot, right? So if you're a millionaire, you can be greedy, right? And oftentimes wealth does create greed. But if you're homeless, you can still be greedy, that means if you make 40k or 400k, you are still capable of being greedy because it's your posture of what you're wanting from where you're at, right? Contentment is like the opposite. Greed is like more and more and more. The reasons why we're greedy are all different, right? Some people are greedy for status. Some people are greedy, greedy for security. Some people are greedy for enjoyment. You name it, right? But everyone is capable of greed, no matter how much money you make. And so what we see is Jesus' idea of greed is not just possessing or wanting more. But it leads into the second part. It's also about having excessive anxiety about it. I don't know about you, but greed, for me, has a lot of times taken roots in an anxiety about my long-term and my family's long-term security. Greed is not just getting something to spend it. It's just getting something that you think will help you control your life. And what, I, what I've noticed is, and I was reading in some commentaries, they were talking about how greed. you can be greedy in saving, even right? Because you're, what, you're sa- what you're putting in your savings, you're spending towards your future security. So even, you know, sometimes like we're like, yeah, save 95% of your, like, that's amazing. You'll have so much money when you're on It's so great. Actually, what if saving is actually greedy, right? For some of us. Now, I'm not saying, like, the principle of saving don't save, but w- are we really thinking through the ways in which greed can sneak into these little areas? Because if our definition is very small, we're justifying a lot of patterns of sin in our lives and greed for Jesus says there's all types of greed and then he says it's going to lead to this sense of, of anxiety now I don't know about you but a lot of anxiety for a lot of people I talk to is about money in marriage money is one of the hottest topics right it affects marriages the most and even when you're getting divorced if you're it's just this that's like the, the, the argument right is who's getting this who's getting that I mean greed is just filling in everywhere it goes. And so Jesus, in Luke 12 later, says this line. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think the modern version is, for where your money and your checking account goes, there your heart will be also, right? If we just had the opportunity, regardless of like how illegal this is, but take one of your bank statements and put it up here, right, on the TV and everybody was looking at it, we could tell what you care about. By where your money goes. Now, some of us don't have the choice, right? Oh, I'm in debt or whatever, but that was a decision you made, right? And whether it was good or bad, investment or not, you made that decision. But where our money goes, where our heart also follows. It's not where our heart is, there our money goes. It's actually the other way around. If I have to put all my money towards this thing, if I buy this investment property or this cabin, right? This is like my greedy dream of having a cabin, right? Like, I'm, I'm setting myself up for a monthly payment. I ha- it's there. I have to deal with it and now my heart has to be there, my thoughts have to be there, my ways in which I can afford to live the rest of my life are now affected by this thing that I've done. Our checking accounts are very much showing where our heart is. It's not the other way around. And what Jesus is doing here is he's getting the root of greed, which is idolatry. And idolatry in the Bible has three components to it that make it an idol. The first one is that we love it. The second one is we trust it. And then the third one is that we obey it. When we love money, we daydream and fantasize about what it can do for us new ways to make money, new things to buy. We compare ourselves with others in our lives around it. We start to desire that what we get from it whether I said it's enjoyment, security, status. Then we trust it. We feel more control and safety over our lives because of our wealth. We don't ever have to depend on anyone or anything else. We're strong, we don't have to lean on anyone, we, have to, we don't have to be embarrassed if we made, if we don't have enough money to pay for something, right? We don't have to ask people, we'll have to get a handout, be a beggar, we don't have to do any of that. But when we start to trust it, then our day is dictated by how well we're doing. When we look at the stock market when we wake up, it actually affects our heart one way or the other for the day of how it's gonna go. If it's green, we're like, all right, good day. If it's red, there's just a slight bit of, "Ah." Oh. That's why gambling is so dangerous because gambling is the idea of greed, but it's addictive in its nature. And so when you start to want this, you start to love money and the idea of it, you lose money. And then you think, I got to get this back, right? I got to get it back to normal or I still want this thing. It can still happen. And you start to obsess over it. You start to trust In you know, these people that tell you, like, get rich by doing this quick. And you start to buy into those things. You start to research everything you can about the football game. So when you bet on it, you feel, you know, like, you start to do all these things. And before you know it, you spend all of your thought and your anxiety and your time is just laced into getting this thing. And then the third thing, which is the most dangerous step, is that we obey something when we love and trust it. It actually makes our decisions for us. That's what is a master, right? They tell you what to do. And however subtle it may be, you serve and obey it as you become a slave to it. I mean, I took out college debt, we're still trying to pay it off, and you've probably heard the principle, like, you're a slave to the lender, right, when you're in debt. It's not a great principle to be in debt, you know, and obviously we see education a lot of times as an investment. wouldn't be here if I didn't go to college, right, so I understand that, but every month I have to put a very large chunk of money to somewhere because of I took it out, right? And that affects our lives. It affects what we can buy, the fact that we own two used cars cash because like that money would probably be I could get a nicer car. I could get I could have more streaming services. You know, you name it, right? Like it affects the way we live because I've 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 set myself up for that. And so Jesus says at the end of Luke 16, you can't serve or obey two masters. You just can't. You you'll hate one and love the other, you'll be devoted to one, you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's a conflict of interest. It just is. But the hard thing about money, and this is why we did sexuality and money in that retreat, is sexuality and money are two things that God has given you that you cannot live without. You have to deal with it. You have to deal with your sexuality in the world that we live in. You have to deal with money in the world that we live in. You can't just not have money. You can't, like, you just need it, right? So how do we continually allow it to not be our master? And, and there's this tension. And what happens is when you're doing it really poorly and you're on the fence, Basically, money is your master. And it causes anxiety, and it causes worry, and it causes stress, and you start to make decisions based on all of this. And this is why Jesus, brilliantly enough, in the next passage, talks about worry. A lot of time we read this passage, and we read, oh, he's just talking about like, general anxiety. And, like, no, no, he's talking about money, and when you actually think enough about money and not making it your, your master, then you're going to be anxious. And this is what he says in verse 22 of chapter 12 in Luke 12. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore... He just talked about money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, about your body, what you will wear. And a lot of times as Americans, we say, oh, I, I, I eat food, I have clothes. Like, I don't need to worry about, like, why, you know, he's talking about that because most of the people he's talking to do worry about that stuff because they're very poor. And the, the social classes were way more, um, the distance was way different. But you could fill that in with whatever you want. Don't, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your rental property or your boat or your car or your house or your job. like These things that are just causing you anxiety and worry, don't worry about them. He says there is more to life than food. There's more to the body than clothing. And he, he says, you know, consider the ravens, like these moochers. They don't sow or reap. They have no storm or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you can worry... By worrying can even add an hour to your life. It's all just meaningless. futile, right? Like, you're, just, you're putting your heart in the wrong place. So if you cannot do uh, such a very little thing as this, why do you worry about the rest of things? Consider how the flowers grow. They did not work or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, the richest man ever, in all his glory was clothed like the one of these. Was not clothed like one of these. And this is how God clothes the wild grass, which is here today and tomorrow it's tossed in the fire. How much more will he clothe you, you people of little faith? So then he says, do not be overly concerned about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, and do not worry about such things. Do we worry about these things in our lives which have become our idols? Do we love them? Do we trust them? Do we obey them? What are they and why are they there? He says, the nations of all the world pursue these things, and your father knows that you need them. The nation pursues enjoyment. They pursue security, right? Like, we pursue all of those things. God knows it. He's not dumb, right? And he says, this is, this is the reality of if you keep running after this, it's anxiety, it's worry, it's stress. And so this gets to probably the biggest like, point in this whole teaching is what do we do about it? Because Jesus tells us two things. Watch out for greed and guard yourself. And we talked about how greed is insidious. You typically aren't aware that you're greedy, right? You need, like, other people in your life. But if everyone else around you is greedy, it's also very hard. So what do we do about it? It's not just as simple as removing it. And Jesus gives us a two-part answer here. The next verse, he says, Instead, pursue his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. So part one is just leaving our kingdom for Jesus' kingdom. Our kingdom is making God money. Jesus' kingdom is is making him God and using money, using his money to steward it and be generous. And so the second part is that we live it out in generosity. The solution to stinginess and greed is a reorientation to the generosity of Jesus, and this is the generosity we see in the gospel, the good news, is that he poured out his wealth for us. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says basically this. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you understand the gospel, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. That is the gospel and the good news in one verse. The Lord of the universe came down as a man, a humbled man, born in a cattle trough, right, like manger, with very humble life, died with absolutely nothing to his name for you. Not just for you, for the person you most hate in the world too. The most unlovable person, he did that for them. He gave all of his riches away for the sake of our spiritual poverty to become rich. And so he says, pursue my kingdom and, and, and like, like, follow me live my ways. The second piece, though, is very important. He says, do not be afraid, in verse 32, little flock, for your father is well pleased to give you the kingdom. I mean, he's, he's, he's excited and he's going to help you. But then he says this verse, sell then your possessions and give to the poor. Provide for yourself purses that do not wear out. A treasure in heaven that never decreases Where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. And then he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's two components that Jesus is doing in this solution. One is removal. One is like, where is the greed in my heart? Asking these type of questions, having good people around you to help you understand that, the conviction of the Spirit. You start to see, oh man, I am like greedy in these areas, right? And then you start to realize, okay... That's not good. I remove that. But like any bad habit, you know, you have to replace it with something good. You can't just remove it. It will come right back. If your pathway is that, if you, if you just don't walk down it, it's far easier to walk down it than to walk somewhere else. So what is the replacement? And the replacement is literally provide yourself a purse that does not wear out. So the removal aspect is hard because he says, sell your possessions, give to the poor. And we're like, that's dramatic. He doesn't really mean that. Like, I got to live. I have a mortgage, you know? Like, he doesn't mean give all my money away. But what he's saying is, here's your idol. Get rid of it. If your house is your idol, I don't know. If your house is your sports car, if your house is your Xbox, if your house is your, you know, your makeup, if your house is your, like, tennis racket, if your house is your backyard, right? Like, it's like, what what is the idol in your heart? If your house is your massive 401K or your massive retirement or... If you're, like, what, are the, what is the thing your heart is most desiring and excited about? Get rid of it and then replace it with what he calls basically an eternal purse. Or if you're a man, eternal nurse. Okay, <laughs> Replace it. Because those things have eternal kingdom impact and they don't wear out. So you start to allocate generosity and stewarding into something that actually matters. When you face the Lord... I don't think he's going to ask you what's the net worth of you. I don't think he's going to ask how much your house is worth or who you're passing it on to. I think he's going to ask you, did you use the resources I gave you to make kingdom impact? And you'll have a long time in heaven for eternity to be able to be, the, 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 the purse doesn't wear out, right? Everything else here wears out. Even if you have a great house, you're still dealing with the fact that this will, actually, my house is 70 years old. It's so like, there, I don't know, it might make 100, but it's starting to get cracks, you know? Like it's not going to be forever, but eternity is forever. And we start to get anxiety about, you know, what do we do and how do we leave people well and we got to pay for my kids' college or my grandkids' college where we start to feel all these burdens and we, we dictate all of our lives based on that, but we have no purse of eternal impact. So, I mean, I'll ask you, I think this is a good question to reflect on. Do I have an eternal purse? Do, do I have money that I think about, I pray about, that God has given me to steward and be generous with others? Do I have an eternal purse that I'm actually putting deposits in? And this is a really important thought. A lot of times people say, well, Trey, I'm, I'm withholding deposits in my eternal purse because I'm putting it in this right now, and it will be far greater when I'm older, and then my eternal purse will be massive, and I can give far more. And I'm like, that's great thinking, but just like that man, tomorrow is not given. A lot of times we think about when I die, which is when I'm 85 and a half, right, and I die in my sleep very peacefully and no problems, then God will give me my evaluation, right? But what if, what if living now is more like your job where you get quarterly evaluations, you get yearly evaluations, if the next 70 quarters of your life, every time you sit down with God, your boss, and he says, hey, how are you stewarding? How are you being generous? Well, I'm not. I'm waiting. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. It'll be awesome. Just trust me. It'll be awesome. I'll have all this money. and It'll be great, right? And then in the meantime, though, God's like, all right. Well, like, no eternal purse. no Like, what? We don't get to pick that. A lot of us don't make it that far. People in my classroom are not here today. Because a lot of choices and bad decisions that they never wrote down on their PowerPoint. And so even if I have three months left to live or one year, I want to be able to go to God and be like, here's here's my eternal purse. It's not massive, but I did what I could. Thank you for letting me steward this. And this is why in Luke 16, Jesus says, the one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. The one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you haven't been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? That one stinks. How about you? Because it seems like it's, it's provocatively saying, like, maybe you're not seeing eternal impact because you are, like, just selfish and, and, and stingy. Maybe our, there is truth that our heart is where our treasure is, and then if our treasure is all about ourselves, we won't see eternal impact. Maybe that does kind of make sense. Also hurts, Right? But the cool thing about this verse is he's not only calling us out, but he's saying, look, even if you have very little, you're faithful in very much. Even if, you don't make, even if you're a teacher your whole life and you don't make a gazillion dollars, like, you still have the opportunity to be faithful. When, when Jesus gave one man one talent, one man five, and one man ten, the one with one, all he had to do was still use what he had, and he didn't. He was lazy, and he was apathetic, and he, he was worried, and he was fearful. The other two doubled it, and, and God's like, here you go. Here's even more of the kingdom." Right, like you've been a good steward with what I've given you. Here's more, and so even if we don't have a lot, what we have, even the little of it, is still massively important to God. God doesn't sit you down in your quarterly eval and say, Well, so and so gave this amount, so you're gonna do that. No, He looks you in the eye and He says, Do you have an eternal purse? Do you care? And here's what I've gotten to in my very long pastoral career. But with my mentor's wisdom, when I read about the stories of Jesus that I believe to be true, that I think is somewhat controversial and and stings, but I think it's true, is that, yes, you can be generous and not follow Jesus. People can be in these seats and fake it. People can be in the outside world, and we call that philanthropy, typically through humanism. They sleep better because we're making the world a better place, right? But you cannot follow Jesus and not be generous. The two are not separate. Because when you follow Jesus and you submit and you sign up to his gospel, his good news of generosity, the whole point of it then is that you share generosity outside of it. The, to the degree that you understand the gospel is the degree that you're generous. And so this is why a major mark of spiritual maturity is giving in generosity. Now, you can fake it. Like, you can be like, look, Trey, I just gave you like $10,000. Like, I just sent this check over to this thing. And, you, and I can be like, wow, like, but I don't know your heart. But if you sign a check for $0 your whole life, I can be like, yeah, you don't get it. If, you, if, if you're generous, it is very obvious that your heart is understanding the gospel. And sometimes you can fake it. But what I would say is if you're giving nothing, it's very obvious where your heart is. And the disciples were learning this, and Jesus modeled this, that like Jesus is going to ask, you know, did you give away everything for the sake of the kingdom? Were you lowering your idols and replacing it? with an eternal purse. The gospel is not just a component of generosity. The gospel is the very air of, like it is generosity is what we breathe in it. When we think about the gospel, every breath is generosity. And I love how uh, Tim Keller summed it up. He said, one human gave up their treasure to acquire true eternal treasure for everyone else. That's, that's the gospel in it's bare roots. So if you say one human Give up my own treasure, whatever it is, the the thing I'm treasuring most. I I move it over to here to make eternal impact, and my heart will follow. That is me understanding the gospel tangibly. uh, Keller says, Jesus gave up all of his treasure in heaven in order to make you his treasure. For you are a treasured people, and when you see him dying to make you his treasure, that will make him yours. Money will cease to be the currency of your significance and security, and you'll want to bless others with what you have. To the degree you grasp the gospel, money will have no dominion over you. Think on his costly grace until it changes you into a generous people. Those of us who have the hardest time with this are having the hardest time really believing the gospel is rooted in generosity. Whether we don't believe it, it's it's too good to be true. There's no way God really loves me. There's no way I still need to earn my, I still need to, I still need to like work my way up. Or we are just so apathetic and just almost blind to how the gospel has affected us. We almost need like a spiritual awakening. Like, I grew up in the church. I'm fine. I'm saved. I know things. But we're not waking up daily saying, man, I am in debt. I can't pay it. Praise God, the blood of Jesus does. And you live out of that. And I think when we we really think about like testing God, right, test me, right, test me in this. I don't even think when we test him in this that we get back what we think we'll get back. Meaning like I give this away and it makes this massive impact. What it's probably really doing is it's changing my heart. It's allowing me to realize I'm actually not in control. And maybe I actually am less anxious because I'm starting to live the way Jesus calls me to. But maybe more so I'm just being faithful to what God is calling his people like I said, money and being generous is one of the greatest apologetics. People didn't understand it in Rome. People don't understand it today. And that's why a generosity in my, Sarah and i's heart, like, has ruined us. I say ruined and like, it's a negative word, but it has ruined us. Once someone is incredibly generous to you, it ruins you. You don't forget about it. And you're like, gosh, I got to go do this. You know, I, this is the way I want to live. We've had several times where we've given money away. And, like, we're like, ah, oh, I don't know, you know, we've kind of blown some of our savings or whatever, and, and whatever, we do it. And then, like, a week later, someone's like, hey, you know, we sold our house. Here's two grand. We just wanted you to have it. Do whatever you want with it. And we're like, okay. That's happened, like, four times. I guess everybody's selling their houses. I don't know. But, <laughs> but, it, but just, like, here, here's, here's a chunk of money. And we're like, what? Right? Or if something breaks. and say, hey, like, I don't know what you're, what you're going through, but we just want to give you this, right? It ruins us. And you know what it does? It makes us realize, I think we're going to be okay. I think we're going to be okay if a tree falls on my house. Recently, I've been getting this mail about uh, my water line and how, like, you, you own from your house to, the, to the, the curb. And so it's like a waterline insurance because it's like, your waterline burst, 25 grand, like $3 a month, right, insurance. And I'm like, I didn't even, like, I, you know, I was not thinking about my waterline since we bought our house. And before you know it, I'm worried about it, right? And I'm like, I'm just, I'm stressed about it. I'm worried about it. But it's like, at the end of the day, like, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be okay. And it'll be okay and... I got a job to do, and it's to be generous, and it's to fight for this. Like, Sarah and I have been trying very hard to make our eternal purse our largest budget number on our budget. And currently, our mortgage is beating us out, And it's, but, you know, that's a tough one, right? <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. But, but we're fighting hard for it. We're making decisions and sacrifices because I want to be able to show you my budget and say, here's where my heart is. It's kind of in my house, but also in Jesus. <laughs> but I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to do that and I want to be able to share that with others and I don't care if I have all the stuff in the world. I just want to be able to be generous. And sometimes I believe it out of the gospel. I'm like, here you go. Sometimes it's really hard. But where my treasure goes, there my heart will follow. So I want to encourage you as we close and wrap up, as a time into formation, we talk about formation as being formed in the image of Christ. These things that we do as a community each week and they rarely change, but I just want to go through them. We have the bread and cup uh, offered every Sunday as a reminder of the generous sacrifice um, though it's not real blood and real body it's the reminder that Jesus was broken and his blood was spilled for us and so that's a gospel reminder that we partake in but we also have uh, just a time and a space to reflect as we're slowing down and, and, and figuring out how does generosity how, do I, how does it start to live that out and remove greed we also have people in the back who would love to pray for you if there's one area that, that has strongholds on us it is greed and a lot of us like I said maybe you're starting to feel it you're like, oh, I'm... Uh, last service someone was like, I was thinking of something and then you said it and now I feel very called out and I was like, I don't know what to tell you. I didn't have it on the notes, but maybe you're just like, I, I feel it. You feel this weight now and you're starting to feel anxious and Jesus says, don't be afraid, right? And you just need some prayer to encourage you and your, and the spirit to just give you some words about like where I need to go with this. Um, we'd love to do that with the prayer team. And then the last thing, uh, we, we call it giving, but it, I like to call it bringing, uh, because it's God's. You're not giving to him. It's already his. You know, if I let you borrow my truck to go get some mulch, and the next day you're like, hey, I got something for you. You're going to love it. You're going to be so pumped. It's crazy. And then I'm like, all right. He's like, I'll, I'll be over in a little bit. He comes, comes over, and he's like, it's your truck. I'm going to be like, thanks, dude. I let you borrow this. Like, you're welcome. No, 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 no. I gave you back. Isn't this crazy, this gift I gave you? I'm like, no, it's mine. That's that's like, it's God's. So we call it bringing because it's we're bringing back what is God's. But the last challenge we want to give you, and this is this is what I care more, most about is. Part of the job is pastoring. is pastoring in all areas of your life. If you don't have an eternal purse, that is a deep like, burden and conviction in my heart. I want you to have an eternal purse. And I'm don't like. i not saying like, contrast church, all right? I'm just saying have an eternal purse. And so what we're doing as a church is we're putting our money where our mouth is, and we, we have $2,000 in envelopes, and we want you to leave and take one, anywhere from $20 to $100. They're just randomly in there. And go start an eternal purse if you don't have one or add it to your current eternal purse. Go do something with it that has kingdom impact. And it doesn't need to be, like, plotting for months and trying to make this $100 go the farthest it can. It could even just be tipping someone $20 at your brunch today, you know. And then they're like, cool, thanks. And, like, it doesn't matter the outcome. I don't need, if you want to give me the story, I'd love to hear it. But it it could just be, I gave it away, and the person was like, cool. And then it was that was it. Because, like I said, it's not about what we get from it. It's what we give, Right. But we're going to do that. So if you want to if you wanna sign up for it, you're like, let's do it. Let's do it. I want to build my eternal purse. Take the money. We're not going to ask any questions. It's in an envelope. It's cash. Do whatever you want with it. And I, I promise you that as your treasure goes out, your heart will follow. And then people will see the gospel out of the weight of our generosity fighting against the world of greed. So we're going to give you space to do these things. And then when you leave them, just make sure you grab an envelope from Lucas in the back. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.